Well, morning everyone. Morning. It's the end of semester, in case you didn't know. And uh, it's a good time to take stock and think about why you're at college and what you hope it'll do for you, along with panicking about your exams. Uh, so what are we doing here at college? I mean, there's a number of images that the Bible uses to compare uh, what, what, you, what you're training for. Um, sometimes you're compared to shepherds and the whole pastor language that we read in both testaments compares us to shepherds and we're to look after sheep. Um, one of the prophets compares us to a watchman uh, looking out, uh, looking for uh, things untoward. Sometimes we're compared to soldiers and this would be a sort of boot camp that you're involved with. Be interested to know which one you think is most apt. Uh, sometimes Christian ministry and Christian work, gospel ministry is compared to being a servant, a household slave. Other times we're farm workers. And then my favourite one is a construction worker. Uh, Paul in a certain letter in the New Testament says, <laughs> be careful how you build. So today I'd like to think about Christian work as construction work and a college like Ridley as a brick making factory and uh, what you're learning is the skills to do that. As it turns out, the last college I taught at, the library was in the Master Builders Association building. That's what it used to be, now they've just demolished it. And uh, in ways that recall our passage, they're building a very tall building in its place. <laughs> um, we're going to look at the first building project in the Bible uh, of a building. The first one was a boat. But uh, this one's the first one uh, of a building, and we're thinking about what it teaches us with respect to our plans for ministry, what we're hoping for with our ministries. And I think uh, it's Peter Noble's the only person who's uh, finishing up today who's present. So basically, I'm preaching, preaching straight at Peter here, and you can listen in. Is there any other students? There are some, but they're not. Anyone else here finishing this, their last chapel? No, I think it's just you, Peter. Oh, no. Here we are. Good, we'll be preaching to you too, Ben. <laughs> so the first thing I'd like you to notice about this building project is that new skills open up new horizons. Have a look at Genesis 11, the first few verses. Now the whole world was one language in a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. So there's a kind of point of technological advance. They discovered that when you build just with stones and put them on top of each other, you don't get very far. Well, then I thought of the pyramids, but still. Um, in this part of the world, they hadn't thought of pyramids. And the way to build things much uh, more securely and much uh, higher was with bricks and mortar. And uh, if Christian workers are construction workers, that's kind of like you guys. You've come to college, you've been working just with stones, and you've been able to do certain things with the Bible. You used to read the Bible, but we told you about bricks, exegesis, and mortar, hermeneutics. And now you're much better equipped. And I think it's true, new skills open up new horizons. So you came as a stonemason, and you're leaving as a brickie. Um, now, it, it's fine 
to have uh, new skills, and that's what we're training for, isn't it? We want to be more useful. We want to take on uh, bigger opportunities to serve God. But it is also true that new skills bringing new confidence can lead to exaggerated plans. And that's, of course, what we see in Genesis 11, um, where we find out that their plans are not um, approved by God. And as it goes on to say in Genesis 11, 4 and following, they say to themselves, come let us build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we might make a name for ourselves. The Tower of Babel was built with the express purpose of reaching to the heavens. And the Bible talks about human pride in those very terms, as loftiness, as superiority, as uh, thinking you might be uh, bigger than others. So pride's really the sin of comparison where you compare yourself with someone else and you come out on top. Now, it might be possible to regard building a tower as high as the sky simply as an exercise in human ambition, but I think it seems likely in the flow of Genesis that it's viewed as a sacrilege because the sky or the heavens is the place of God's abode and to reach up there is really another human effort to become like God. So that, that point of uh, description here is very much alluding back to the garden where Adam and Eve seek to become like God. And as it turns out, the uh, Hebrew words for pride at root mean lofty or high. And they're associated with things like vaunting yourself above others, uh, majesty, exaltation. And right throughout the Bible, when the uh, prophets, for example, think of pride and want to get into it, they talk about tall trees that God will lop down and tall ships, for example, in Isaiah 2. Similarly, in the New Testament, Pride is to have an exaggerated self-conception or to be puffed up. Um, somewhere, uh, someone once said, knowledge inflates with pride. Uh, English has the same understanding of pride, actually, because we talk about looking down your nose at other people when we're thinking of pride uh, with terms like arrogance, haughtiness, big-noting yourself. The proud want to be looked up to and inevitably that leads also, of course, to looking down on others. So when thinking about what you might achieve through your studies at college, it's only natural to think beyond college and to think with some kind of hopes, maybe, that you might have a sky-high ministry, one that uh, sets you apart from others. And we tend to talk about Christian ministries in this way, don't we? We... We, uh, we lift up places like, uh, and I'll list a whole bunch here, uh, trying to cover everyone's prejudices. Uh, Holy Trinity Brompton, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, St. Matthias in Sydney, Hillsong in Melbourne, uh, and in Sydney, City on a Hill in Melbourne, Ridley College, oops. And <laughs> so basically, there is this tendency, isn't there, to, to want to distinguish ourselves from others. And as much as our motives might be to see progress for the gospel, there is the possibility that our grand plans might be compared to what's happening here in Genesis chapter 11. These days there are numerous platforms at conferences uh, for people to uh, take part in. I think, uh, I mean, even in the last five years, there's at least half a dozen conferences I know of 
where various networks bring along their people and uh, most of the people are sitting there thinking, why aren't I up on the platform? And uh, the people on the platform are very happy to be there and looking down on the rest of you. Um, <laughs> so I ask you, friends, do you dream of being asked to speak at a conference, uh, to be a model minister, Christian worker of some description, or to receive that ultimate accolade, preaching in the Ridley College Chapel? Um, are we aiming to big note ourselves, to be noticed, to achieve some notoriety in fame in when, when we dream of our ministries? It's uh, in one sense understandable because human existence is just like the grass. We pass, don't we? No one's going to remember us in a very short while. And uh, we take our insignificance and we need to do something with it. We want to become significant. We want to be noticed, to be acknowledged. Well, what does God do with reaching for the sky as an expression of prideful ambition? Um, well, sadly, uh, there's a warning here. God brings the proud low. God's response to the building project in verses 5 to 7 is actually dripping with irony. Look what it says. They, they, reached, they wanted to reach the heavens, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. Hmm, what's happening down there? So it, 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 God has to even stoop to have a look at what's happening. Look at that. Um, as uh, the, the brilliant uh, American novelist put it, Marilyn Robinson, however triumphant our achievements may seem to us, to an all-competent observer, we might appear entangled in a small, dense web of our own weaving. As Isaiah 40 puts it, the Lord sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. God regards even our most outrageous ambitions as pure folly and as puny. In verse 6, God's concern though is that if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. The, plan, uh, the, the verb to plan might be translated to plot, to bring out its nefarious connotations in this context. The verb actually tends to be used in the Old Testament either of God's own plans or of sinful human plans. It's only God who's meant to plan in this sense, it appears. And the language of verse 6 makes it very clear that God's concerned about the actions of the builders is that it is an act of hubris of proud ambition. And if pride is seeking prominence, then it's no coincidence that God's resolve to punish the proud throughout the Old and New Testaments is to bring them low. God brings the proud low. This is a pretty serious warning, friends. Uh, Psalm 18. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. Job 40. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all the proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Proverbs 15. The Lord tears down the house of the proud. Proverbs 29. Pride brings a person low. Isaiah 2. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled. Human pride brought low. Isaiah 26 sounds like it's describing the Tower of Babel. God humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. 
he levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. So there's a warning here, friends. The judgment of the, the Tower of Babel by God was not a one-off. This is his standard procedure. This is how he deals with pride. The tower builder's aim was not merely to excel or make some outstanding contribution to society, something, of course, that Scripture doesn't condemn. But there's a problem if the main reason we're doing something is to impress. So pride seeks the ultimate supremacy, not only over human beings, but it seems over God himself. This is what the Tower of Babel passage is teaching us. So, if uh, reaching for the sky is an expression of pride and God will bring the proud low, we also learn from our passage that seeking to, name and to make a name for yourself is also an expression of prideful ambition. That's the other thing in verse 4 that uh, the passage says they were about. They built themselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Now, making a name for yourself, of course, is uncannily current in our world. Uh, Andy Warhol talked about 15 minutes of fame, but now it's kind of just five minutes of fame. Um, reality TV uh, is uh, um, something uh, many of you watch. And um, people will do anything to make a name for themselves so they can get on the A-list and go to uh, events and uh, meet other A-list people who also have a name. They're happy to eat worms if you're on Survivor. Uh, they're happy to cook spatchcock, whatever that is, on uh, um, one of those cooking shows. Or I think I didn't watch it, of course. But there was uh, one uh, the other night where they're happy to kick, kiss a stranger blindfolded. Yeah, just to get that their name out there. And this isn't the first time in Genesis that sin has been associated with making a name for yourself. The first city in Genesis is named after Cain's son. He named it after his son Enoch. That was the first city in Genesis. And then Cain has a bit of a bad run here because then he has a son called Lamech and uh, Lamech wants to make a name for himself. He says Cain killed uh, uh, seven times. I avenged 77 times. Wanted to make a name for himself. And in Genesis 6, the sons of God, that really odd passage where the sons of God, whoever they are, uh, come down and procreate with the daughters of humans. They're described as heroes of old, men of renown, but it's literally men of name, having a name. As men of name, they sought reputation by the wicked deeds in the same way that the people of Babel sought fame through their building enterprise. To use our idiom, the sons of God were intent on making a big name for themselves. And God sees the aspiration of the builders of the Tower of Babel uh, to make a name for themselves as an act of rebellion. Gordon Wenham's commentary explains. He says that God promised to make Abram's name great. So there is a sense in which having a great name is a biblical idea, but it's those whom God chooses who receive that. But elsewhere in Scripture, it's God alone who makes a name for himself. And that's all over the place. Uh, mankind is attempting, again, to usurp divine privileges. And we might add from the New Testament that Paul believed that Jesus Christ's humiliation in death on a cross led him to being given the name above every name at which everyone 
will bow. So pride feels off our fear of, of, of obscurity and insignificance. And its second cousin, envy, is the other problem, of course, which will also fuel pride. Um, we might see someone else doing better than ourselves in some regard. And I meant to send Mike Bird a memo about this in terms of, it actually takes years to write a book, not Mike, not months, okay? That's, 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 that's pretty obvious, I would have thought. <coughs> but it's very easy, isn't it, to look around and to compare yourself with other people and uh, to envy the fact that they're known for something for which you'd like to be known. Well, what does God do with people who seek to make a name for themselves? He removes the name of the proud and gives them a name they don't want. Have a look at verses 5 and following. The Lord looked, came down to see the city and the tower of the people that they were building. The Lord said, if as one the people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so, they, so that they do not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel. In Hebrew, it might be translated Babel. Confusion is what uh, their name ended up being. So setting out to make a name for yourself, according to this passage, will only end in tears. Ironically, the name they make for themselves is one that they would not have been proud. Gordon Wenham again says, the people's express purpose in building to make a name lest they be scattered over the face of the earth is precisely what they fail to achieve. For ultimately, the Lord does scatter them and the name given to their construction commemorates their failure, not their success. So, as we think about the construction activities we'll be involved with in the future. Is there something wrong with wanting to be a part of something big? Is there something wrong to want to be recognized and acknowledged? Is there a legitimate place for being known? Well, there's another building program in the Bible. This one's uh, approved by God. It's when the exiles came back uh, from uh, Babylon interestingly, and Ezra and Nehemiah records what that building project was like. They built a wall and a temple with the two main achievements. Now the interesting thing about Ezra and Nehemiah, if you read through those books, they're littered with lists of names. Did you ever notice that? Ezra 2, 8 and 10, Nehemiah 3, 7 and 10 to 12 give us long lists of names and that kind of double book is opened with the proclamation of Cyrus allowing the Jews to return to the land and rebuild the temple. Nehemiah 3. Uh, if you want to go there, you can. I'll just read you a little bit. So this is what happens when we get involved in one of God's building programs. Eliashib, the high priest, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. The men of Jericho, verse 2, built the adjoining section and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to him. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hanasar. Uh, verse 4. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshalam of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, 
made repairs, and next to him, Zadok, son of Barna, also made repairs. I feel like reading through the whole thing to make the point, but I think you get the point, don't you? The point's pretty clear that when we are involved in God's building program, he records our names. He knows us. We are acknowledged by him. And if we live a life of faithful service, one day he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. God meets our legitimate need for recognition and acknowledgement. And uh, uh, when we get on board with his building projects, um, even if we have a small part, then we will be acknowledged. There's a passage in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus sends out 72 to do the work of the Gospel and they come back absolutely over-the-top excited and Jesus says, you guys are high achievers. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It's ironic, isn't it? That in this sense, when we're part of God's building program, we are actually reaching to the heavens. He says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. How's that for preparation for ministry? But then verse 20 says, and I think this is very significant, friends. However, do not rejoice that you had this sky-high achievement, but rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. So when we work on God's building... Instead of obsessing about ourselves, we're free to focus on serving others in love. The fact that God raises the humble and knows our names provides the security from which we can rise above the temptations of prideful ambition. And we seek to bring glory not to our own name, but to the name of another. The name above every name, satisfied with whatever role he assigns us, in the building of God's temple on earth. Well, friends, as we reflect on Brian's message to make sure that we are working for God's 